Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 120. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed, Eisner-nominated, and award-winning comic creator, Scott Chandler. Woo! Scott, yeah. how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> I am well. You're well. And you just, before we went on the air, talk about like your been a pretty busy uh pretty busy in the last couple of months for you. You just bought a new house. You're 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 working on uh you're working on uh Squire and Knight, one of your upcoming projects and just uh are coming out of Bat-tober as well, so yeah, Bat-tober, man. Uh <laughs> yeah, I finished uh this new this new project I'm working on for first second, Squire and Knight. I finished book 1 uh just in time for the end of September when it was due. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, let's do Bat-tober again this year. And, uh, and it would have been great, except sometime in there, I also bought a house. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy few weeks. Right. And so check it out for those, uh, for all, for all you, uh, Scott Chandler fans out there. Um, he, you, you put a lot, you put these, some of the, on, on your, on your, on your shop as well. So. Um, yeah, I was. I know uh, Chris Somney, who originated Bat-tober, always auctions them, but uh, yeah, I don't have the t- time to keep track of an auction. <laughs> I just, I just threw them all up in my store with the price that would have been the buy now price on eBay, right. and uh, and you know let people uh, let the feeding frenzy commence, <laughs> and it did. The first, the first few hours of the you know when I first put them up was pretty crazy i made a lot of money in about 10 minutes yeah Um, i see that a lot of them are sold out already that's a lot of them are gone and some of the ones that are left are sold out and it's pretty it's pretty nice there are a few left people people can go to the shop and and uh scoop up one of the four or five that are left if they want uh because it's you know might as well make it a clean sweep Right, right. And this is one of the benefits of actually, you know, being a comic creator that's still, you know, works with, uh, you know, pen and ink. And Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, ink and, and brushes. I, uh, I mostly pencil digitally now. Mm-hmm. I like being able to kind of manipulate stuff at that stage and, you know, shrink it 25% or whatever I need to do, you know, tilt it a little bit without having to redraw it. Right. Uh, you know, I, I like digital tools for stuff that digital tools do well, right. uh, like that, that, uh, you know, kind of helps me improve my thinking and, and be able to experiment a bit without a huge time commitment. But uh, when it comes to inking, I'm still very much, I'll output stuff to to blue line on uh, on a piece of Strathmore Bristol and uh, and push ink around paper the old fashioned way, which I really, that that's my favorite part of it. I know some artists hate inking. To me, that's like dessert. You right. know, you've already you've already done the storytelling work and a lot of the structure in the drawing, and now you're just going in and giving it a nice polish and, you know, the the drag of the brush on the page and all that stuff. It's just uh, like it's it's the part of drawing I enjoy most. So uh, I I'm, I'm reluctant to give up the the hands-on approach for that for that one step, and then it's back into the computer for coloring, but. Right. Uh, you know, for that one part of it, traditional tools all the way. 
And then you, like you said, then you utilize Photoshop for, for, for coloring. And then you use, and I, and I just recently learned this as well, um, using InDesign as the lettering as well. Yeah, I've done, you know, I, I still kind of move around and experiment a lot with technique right. and stuff, even though I'm like 14 books into my career at this point, I still, I still change it up, uh, you know, a little bit every book, but, um, a lot of publishers, book publishers in particular, use InDesign for, for laying out their books. And um, and the, the text tools in InDesign are actually pretty good. Maybe not for, for sound effects lettering and stuff like that, but for, right. you know, word balloons and stuff, you know, perfectly good. And, uh, you know, it's right there in the print file that the publisher can change for foreign markets and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, it tends to, tends to work out really well. Mm. And so, as you mentioned earlier too, I mean, one of the, one of the pieces of the inking, uh, I think, so one of, one of the things you've mentioned in, in a previous, uh, in a previous interview is, is to kind of give yourself some of that time and space and making sure you have that schedule enough to, uh, because of the part of the inking, as you kind of talked about is there's a level of maybe like therapeutic or, or meditativeness to it where there's, uh, does it kind of like have a calming effect to you because you kind of know ahead of time that you don't have to rush on something as well as gives you that time to do the inking? Yeah, I love it. Like I say, the inking stage is really um, a, a pleasure for me. It's a, it's a treat. And, uh, and, and I do kind of get really like, I, I try to be as relaxed I can when I'm drawing anyway. Uh, but I, I think during that phase in particular, like my girlfriend just works at this desk behind me a lot of the time. And uh you know, she says sometimes she has to like check and make sure I'm still alive. Over <laughs> like my breathing has kind of slowed down so much. And uh, yeah, I've freaked her out a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we went live, we had, uh, I was, I was, I was talking to you about that. Um, uh, this, uh, this past event, this is one of your, I think this, this came out in uh, Bix, which came out in early 2020. Yeah, so, April April 2020, the worst time in a hundred years to release a new book. Yeah, <laughs> timing is what I'm all about. You're all about the timing. Yeah, <laughs> way to time that market, Chandler. <laughs> Good job, Chandler. Yeah. Um, I gotta say to uh, and I and I was I was um, I was lovingly blaming you for the fact that it was such a great read. Hmm. Um, I, 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 it was the only book I took for the week for me when I went on my first, uh, or my first vacation and we went on with the family for about 18 months. Um, try to match our name. I try to match our nameplates to the colors that you put into the book. So I, I don't know if I got it quite right, right. Whether, whether our, our video nameplates that I just changed yeah, it to it's, um, it's, a little bit. Yeah. Ball, ballpark. Ballpark. What, what I loved about what, what you talked about this. I mean, first of all, um, we can have you kind of jump in and just kind of talk about the book um, a, a, a little bit. But what 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 I what I loved about when you when you mentioned it was, um, and you focused a lot on the panel setup, and it was one of those aha moments when I listened when I listened to you talking about it, where you said that you that each each panel is a sentence, each page is, a, and then, then each page is, you see it as a, as a paragraph. Right. And 
you also talked about you you like to draw the panels out first. Is that, is that still something that was this specific to Bix, or is this something you've kind of taken with even with like two generals and all stars and some of your other ones that you've always you you kind of you kind of lay out how you want the panel set up in the page first. Yeah, Bix Bix is kind of the ultimate expression of the way I've always thought about comics, which is very rhythmically. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were joking about timing a few minutes ago, but like timing really is important in my work. Um, and uh, yeah, I had always wanted to do a book about music for that reason to kind of, you know, play with timing in a, in a really meaningful way. Um, but yeah, you were talking about kind of, you know, panels and paragraphs and stuff like that. Like, you, there's a lot of freedom in comics. You like right. you're 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 bound by the four edges of the page, at least in print comics. Right. Uh, but other than that, you can divide the page up any old way you please. Right. And um, so the way that you divide it up uh, becomes very meaningful. And uh, I did a book eleven years ago now called Two Generals. I happen to have a copy right here. Look at look at that. There it is. Very yeah. convenient. Um, and it's about my grandfather's experiences in the Second World War. And it is built on, you know, comics fans will be familiar with the nine panel grid uh, kind of technique like that. Right. Um, and that creates a very kind of when 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 the more you've divided the page up, the more you're dividing it up into smaller units of time. And when the uh, panels are all the size, same size and shape like that, it creates a very kind of precise staccato rhythm to how you read it, which is appropriate for a story about the military and which is very about very much about time and, and small increments of time. Um. So, yeah, like that was a thing I wanted from two generals from the start. I knew it would be kind of structured visually like that, which fits the themes of the story. Where the idea for Bix came along was when I was working on two generals, I would often think, what would be the opposite of this? You know, where there just were no rules and, you know, I could just be as free as could be with, with the page layouts. And, uh, you know, that led me to the idea of doing a book about music and, a, and eventually a book about jazz, which is, you know, as, as free as music gets. Um, so what you get with Bix is, for people who have not seen the book, is, you know, you get a lot of this, which is like a five page, five panel strip on each page, 10 panels when you have the book open. Uh, and this is sort of, you know, how regular life is presented in the book. Um, yeah, just kind of the, you know, boring, regular rhythm of normal life. When Bix discovers classical music as a child, represented by the piano, the uh, panels start to kind of bounce up and down like musical notes. And then when he gets into jazz... I love this part. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, you know, well, here's here's a very early example. The panels start to change size and shape and, you know, move around a little more freely. And then as he gets older and he evolves and his music evolves, you know, eventually you get into stuff 
like hold on i'm looking for one of the louis armstrong bits because those are with all the yeah yeah it's like a collage almost yeah so like when we get to the height of his kind of jazz years you know you get this and then eventually as you know he he writes this pretty extraordinary piece of music called in a mist that sort of combines jazz elements with traditional classical music elements so by that point in the book you get this which is the classical music rhythm laid over top of the, of the jazz layout and that's so that's as sophisticated as the book gets conceptually and also as sophisticated as bix gets musically so the two kind of work together you know hopefully in that way so when you wrote when you wrote two generals yep. and then you found and you said what would it what would it look like with this very wrote methodical nine you know nine frame nine panel uh pages yep and you're looking for that jazz so did you actively go out and look for bix's story or did you did bix bix's story find you I think I knew, I think I'm, I'm a, I'm a sort of a casual jazz fan. I'm, I'm no right. expert, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a music fan in general and I know what I like. I think I was aware of Vic Spiderbeck from the Ken Burns jazz documentary uh, from mm -hmm. the early two thousands. Um, I know there's some Vic's material in that. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure I knew who Vic Spiderbeck was and um, yeah, it probably didn't take me long to settle on, him his story is pretty interesting right um i mean his 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 music is is kind of interesting in its way but he's also uh an interesting character and in that he uh you know spoilers uh drank himself to death at 28 mm -hmm. uh you know like a lot of musicians uh you know did himself in you know he was a genius but also a very self-destructive genius which of course is a story we've seen again and again uh you know in music and and a lot of other you know, arts and, and stuff as well. So, um, yeah, there was a certain degree to which he just kind of fit what I wanted to do. There was a certain degree to which his life kind of became a, a blueprint for, for, for others as the 20th century moved along. He's an interesting character. He's a, a really, really interesting, um, really interesting biography and, and interesting musically. So, uh, yeah, he seemed to be a good fit. I, I really don't remember even considering anybody else. Wow. Yeah. And so how much have you been able to uh just from the layout piece of it have have, have you get a lot of feedback from other readers that have read that who immediately noticed it right away um like hey I saw that this is set up like this or is that kind of a delightful surprise that people said hey did you notice that when you when when you when you did the jazz you kind of moved everything What's been some of that feedback you've seen from your, from readers about that setup? Um, I mean, uh, in some respect, it's been uh, tough to get any feedback from readers at all because it's been the pandemic for the entire time the book has been out. <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I've only just started doing shows and, and encountering fans again. You know, a, you know a, a little bit of fan mail has trickled in. But uh, like, honestly, when the book came out, bookstores weren't even open <laughs> and and a lot of people just did not know about the book. A lot of people are learning about it now that I'm out promoting it. But um, 
yeah, there has not been a flood of readers wanting to tell me about their experience. Uh, <laughs> that said, <laughs> um, yeah, kind of like with two generals, some people seem to get it and connect with it and understand uh, right. what my, my intentions were and, and, and yeah, yeah. Connect with it right off and, and, and clearly. And others are more like, yeah, just like, Oh, that was interesting. <laughs> you know, that, that was different. <laughs> it tends to be the two reactions to my work. Like, right. Is yeah. like, like, Oh my God, this kicked me right in the stomach. Best book of the year. And the other reaction is, eh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> you know, what's the, the, you, was it so yeah and i even the even the point how you have things like as it's as you said how the, how the panels reflect what's happening with them even in some of those the manic parts where it was it was there and then like and like you know not to I, not to spoil it but even at the ending part of it how you laid out the panels near the end sure was really uh really cathartic in a way too, which was, I said that was powerful. Yeah. I, I always want people to feel it. Right. Um, and I, uh, you, you know, my work can be very kind of theory driven and, and intellectual when I try to describe it, but mostly right. I just want to give people that kick in the stomach. I want, I usually pick something that's emotional for me and right. that I want to be emotional uh, for the reader as well. And, you know, if, if I'm using all of my, you know, craft and ability to, uh, you know, to create that response, I still want, uh, uh, you know, that emotional response. You know, like when people tell me they cried at the end of Two Generals, I'm always relieved because <laughs> I'm like, oh, they they read the book that I wrote. Right. Um, right. And uh and yeah, I, I definitely want people to feel that that ending to Bix, and uh, mm. and uh, yeah, you um, you use the art form as best you can, and right. uh, and that's something comics do really well is those gaps and and silences. Uh, right. People people really feel those. You, uh, it's hard to describe emptiness in prose. Right. Uh, um, like I, I, a million years ago, I. I saw or read this interview with Neil Gaiman, who of course writes comics and, and also prose. And, and um, somebody asked him in this interview, uh, you know, what he, uh, you know, what the big difference was and what he missed most about writing comics. And what he said was silent panels. That, <laughs> that in prose, it's really hard to describe someone doing nothing. Right. <laughs> right? Cause you still got to fill that page with words either way. You know, in comics, you don't necessarily have to. The you know that spacing and that timing becomes really important. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you said you, you mentioned before too in a in a uh, another interview that like somebody asked you is like why do you why do you like doing like historical like historical work? Um, you mentioned like you just love doing the research. Like the research is so like. How to like in two genres about how the boots are tied right, or how to all these different things. When you went when you researching Bix, you went to Dayton, Ohio. You went to Chicago, um, yeah. and what are what would be some of your advice that you would give uh, uh, comic creators who uh, who just kind of like stick to? Oh, I like creating my own worlds. I like doing all this stuff. Jet way, I don't have to research things, but I always wanted to 
I learned about this historical event and nobody else seems to know about it. And I really want to write a story about it. What would be your advice to them if they, if they're hesitant to jump into doing uh, a historical, uh, uh, an historical event on a graphic novel size? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, like it might've been overstating it to say, I enjoy it. <laughs> but I, I think on some level you feel compelled. Um, right. Like with the book about my grandfather, you know, came about just purely out of my curiosity. When I hit the age in my 30s that he was during the war, I became obsessed with right. reconstructing what had happened to him over there. And it, it wasn't even going to be a book at first. It was just, you know, personal interest. And then, you know, the book came about just as a way to convince myself to do all the necessary research. Um, you know, with Bix, it came about more, um, like I say, kind of reverse engineering, you know, let's find a subject that fits this, um, you know, creative experiment I want to do. Right. Um, but either way, I'm, I'm only able to do one of these historical books about every 10 years because they just about kill me. <laughs> the, the research is, um, you, you know, it, it really adds to the, uh, you know, making a graphic novel of any kind, you know, will take you a couple years. Uh, and, you know, when you, when you have to throw in a year or two of research on top of that, right, right it, um, it's 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 not for the faint-hearted, <laughs> you know. Uh, you really gotta want it, and um, yeah, I don't I don't think you'd do it unless you were really personally motivated to to research that subject and know, you know, everything there was to know about it. There's also the internet to contend with too, because I mean, you 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 know, everyone out there is an expert on everything. And, uh, you know, it was one thing with two generals, which was my grandfather's story. And, and to a certain extent, what I said goes, mm -hmm. but, but with Bix, you know, Bix, Bix himself didn't, you know, have, have any heirs, but the, you know, Beiderbeck family certainly did. And they're, they're very protective in a lot of ways of, mm -hmm. uh, of Bix. And there's a, a, you know, a small, but very hardcore, uh, you know, collection of Bix historians out there who, uh, you know, are, are happy to tell you where you've gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, like, like, you know, even with like, like going back really early in my career, I did a book called Northwest Passage, which is fiction, but is set against kind of historical stuff uh, during the fur trade here in Canada, you know, in the, you know, during that era. And uh I read an entire blog post someone had posted, uh, you know, critiquing the beards of the of the various characters and whether they were or were not appropriate, you know, for period characters, uh, you know, at that time. Uh, yeah, like I say, it, it's a big internet out there, and everyone's a damn expert, <laughs> <laughs> or or considers themselves one, and you know, you will spend the rest of your life reading. Uh, blog posts about your character's beards right. and uh and this like this is um you, you know if you're going to do historical work i guess this is where i'm going you got to be ready for that and you've got to um you know you've got to be making your choices knowing that they're going to be wrong too 
you know, a certain number of people on the internet and they'll be happy to let you know. And you gotta, you gotta have thick armor, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you can't, you can't be one of those people whose day is ruined. If someone on the internet said you were wrong about something. (laughs) Did you have, so also with that, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious for you too. Is like, there's there when, I don't know. Do you feel as though when, because as a, as a writer and a comic creator and you find a, a, a story mm-hmm. that uh, you find a story about somebody historically that not a lot of people know about, is there a sense of obligation? Like, well, it looks like I need to write something about this because nobody knows about this. Is there any level of, of ownership or obligation that you feel when th- like for instance with two generals and also with, with Bix. Yeah. Um, with two generals in particular, um, you know, the, the more I learned about, um, uh, you, you know, my, my grandfather went in on D-Day, which of course everybody knows about, but, but the climax of that book is set in a small French town called Duran about a month later. Um, not enough people know about that battle. Right. Uh, which was absolutely devastating for my grandfather's regiment. If you, as you know, if you've read the book um, and, you know, when I began researching there, there wasn't a lot to read about it. And if anything, that made me, like you say, want to, want to do it more. Uh, you know, I, I felt there should, should, you know, be a, a, a light shone on that. Um, uh, Dick Spiderbeck, uh, is very well remembered in uh, Davenport, Iowa, not Dayton, Ohio, which you said. Oh, sorry, right. Davenport. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there, there are certain people out there who will be very angry. So I, <laughs> I couldn't let that pass. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's very much uh, you know the the hero of that city. There, you know, everything in town is Bix this, Bix that. There's a Bix run in the summer. There's there's a Bix Beiderbecke museum there, which conveniently had just opened when I started doing my research. Um, but, you know, outside, outside of that, you know, outside of people who are, you know, very early jazz fans and people who live in da- Davenport, Iowa, yeah. um, you know, not a lot of people necessarily remember Bix Beiderbecke. And uh, yeah, so, um, you know, in that respect, it was interesting. You know, it wasn't like doing you know, yet another book about Louis Armstrong, although he is in the book uh, because they were contemporaries. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. What One thing I really love about comics is that it's, I mean, it's not a new art form by any means, but um, it's it's been so dominated by a genre or two over its lifetime that it's still very possible to do something new with it. Right. Wow, um, yeah. You know, it's... Um, you know, you you can definitely have the first Canadian World War II graphic novel. You can have the first uh, graphic biography of Bix Beiderbecke. <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah. There's um, there's still a lot of uh, of new ground out there for comics, which is exciting. Right. Yeah. And 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 so, how much of how much do you do as like as uh, almost as a in a way is also um, uh, not a specific thing th- across all of your work, but there's see there are uh, some of your themes I've seen. There's a, there's an educational component to it. Um, why is there, 
is that specific and is there is that specific or is that something where it just helps almost as a residual effect of the fact that you do research in a lot of these things yeah, uh, my work is very popular in schools and libraries, particularly here in Canada. And so I think a lot of people kind of kind of think that, you know, think of my work as, you know, educational comics mm-hmm. or, uh, you, you know, stuff like that. And that's never my that, that that's never where I start uh, thinking about a project. I mean, I'm always happy when, you know. Uh, you know, who, who doesn't love when their book sells a a whole bunch of class sets to some school board. Um, You know, that's great, (laughs) but it's never, I never start a project thinking, you know, Oh, this will be big in the educational market. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think that's the, I think that's the wrong place to start. You know, there are some pretty, uh, you know, no offense to people who do educational comics, but there's, you know, a lot of them are pretty hokey. Yeah. And it's like just amount amount the kind of illustrated uh, textbooks. Um, <laughs> it's like you're writing this. Like I'm going to learn so many people with this book. <laughs> right, exactly. Like you know, uh, it, it, it reminds me of when Two Generals first came out uh, in 2010. Um, a friend of mine who I, I did a, a a library talk when it first came out. The day it came out at the uh, public library in my old hometown where I grew up and where my grandfather was from. And, you know, it was a big deal. And uh, a friend of mine who works for the school board there showed up and she picked up the book uh, that night thinking this, you know, she, like I said, she works for the school board. Uh, You know, I'm sure she just was interested in it as like an educational tool. And uh, she called me a couple of days later saying, you know, I read it. And it's actually good. <laughs> like, 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 I'll never forget it because she was looking at it purely, like I say, as a teaching tool. Yeah. And like, you know, here's a way we can trick kids into being interested in World War II history. Um, but was surprised and pleasantly surprised to find that she could teach it as a piece of literature also. Mm-hmm. So that school board did end up adding the book to their curriculum and they teach it in, it's a kind of a cross thing between English history and art. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not, like I say, it's not just some, uh, you know, wanky gimmick <laughs> to, to trick kids. It's uh, yeah. It's something that they, you know, teach as a piece of literature and a piece of art and a piece of history. Right. And uh, yeah, I find that very, very gratifying. And that's, you know, that that that's just kind of the way I approach my work. I just I, I want it to be good <laughs> and and I want people to enjoy it or find it useful in whatever way they find it useful. But for me, I'm just trying to get a story out of the ground in one piece and right. uh, and just just make sure I don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> So we have a lot of like, you know, comic creators that listen to this and like a lot of uh, uh, people that want it. So what what would be your advice? It's like one thing that you, you you said before is like when you're learning it, you, you know, you're taking like, you know, taking some animation courses, some theater courses, some of these other things that were where we are now presently with uh, access to education and, and, what, and what it is. What would be your advice? Would you would you advise someone who wants to go into sequential art or comics or writing? 
would your advice be to go to school for that or or would you have other recommendations oh that's interesting um would i recommend i mean i used to i, I better say yes because <laughs> i used to for five years i taught at a uh an, at an art school in toronto uh writing for comics yeah. and um you know, speaking just purely for my course, it was great. <laughs> uh, I, I like I turned out a few people who, uh, you know, are, are working now. You know, yeah. there's uh, there's there's a few people, a few people passed through my classroom that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to say I shaped a little bit or, you know, gave them a, a you know, appropriate uh, kick in the pants. Um yeah, I mean, I think a lot depends on on the program and the instructors mm -hmm. and stuff. I know, I you know, I know a few people of my generation who came out of the Joe Kubert School, and uh, and really recommend it. Um, yeah, I know, I, I know there are a few programs here and there that you can take. Uh, my friend Chris Schweitzer used to ta uh, teach comics at like Alberta, no, not Alberta, uh, at Atlanta School of something i don't know like i say i think a lot depends on instructors right and um you know if you can find somebody who's really good who's also teaching somewhere um it's probably worth going there to to, to learn what they know um you know i, I know it's becoming like a, a kind of a you know a, a hipper thing to have sequential art programs at your college and and i'm sure they vary in quality as do uh, a lot of college programs. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess my advice would just, if you can be, would be to find a good one and, and go. And, and if you can't do it the old fashioned way and, uh, and just pick it up on, on your own, like I did. Right. And I say, you know, on my own, but uh, you know, as, as you said, I, I, I knew this was what I wanted to do. So I, I took English literature. I took creative writing. I took, drama i took psychology i took fine arts i took film you know i took animation you know all all this stuff just went in the pot and uh uh you know got stirred up and and comics came out um and you know now if you can find one place to do all that great but if not yeah if not go just just go learn it on your own if you can and and so how how important would you say also for comic creators is to maybe take a uh, uh, like a finance class or a business class or something along those lines. Yeah. I'm big on, um, I, 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 maybe they do now, but I wish more art schools had business classes mm -hmm. or at least a business class. Right. Um, when I taught, um, when I taught writing for comics at this animation college in Toronto, uh, I had, I had the students in third year, and I had them late in the day on Friday. Hmm. So uh, those graduating students, I was the last instructor they had often for the rest of their lives. Right. <laughs> and so that last class, I would, um, you know, I, I had them for three hours Friday night just before they graduated. Uh, we just, we just put all the art aside and I just, I just lectured for three hours about copyright <laughs> um you know contracts you know finding an agent <laughs> um, you, you know all of that stuff you know I, I i i crammed it all into one lesson 
<laughs> they would be sitting there writing like mad because you know the good ones at least knew like this is stuff we're gonna need to know right and uh yeah i tried to you know even though it wasn't officially part of the curriculum i was i i felt duty bound before i sent them out into the world out into the market uh to uh arm them with at least a little bit of knowledge about what their rights are and <laughs> and how to protect them and just you know how to get started in in the business right you know how to do their taxes and keep their receipts and and you know write off their expenses and you know, nobody teaches you that stuff right. <laughs> and they should. I mean, that's a that's a big part. You know, if you want to do this for a living, which you do, if you've gone to a, an art school. Right. That's a that's a big part of it. That's a right. big part of it. And so where do you see it's weird because, you know, like where we know that we you know, we're around the same age where there was that um, there was the the comics bubble burst and all of a sudden like you know in the early early to mid 90s where it just looked like things weren't going anywhere and now yeah. there's uh it, there, there's so much now where we are now there's so much so much availability and you can basically as you were saying earlier you can kind of start your own business if you wanted to you can do all the, there's so much accessibility to creating your own creating your own stuff yeah where where do you see uh, you know, it's, you as Gen Xers, you know, we are, we're firmly into middle age. You know, we got the yep. millennials and the Gen Zers behind us. Where, do, where do you see comics going in the next 10 to 15 years? Well, that's really interesting. Um, you know, the big story in comics in the last decade, even decade and a half, has been the book market opening up hmm. and you know in a big way first with scholastics reprints of bone and then with Raina telgemeier's stuff which just took over youth culture right <laughs> just like like if, if if you know any 11 12 year old girls the best way to get on their good side i found is tell them you know Raina telgemeier you're <laughs> 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 just instant best friends with uh, <laughs> with and not just girls either but uh, i mean my my boy my boys when they were that age uh just read her books until they fell apart right um she's like the judy bloom of comics <laughs> um the uh where was i going um so so i, I think so so the so the book market has been huge and that's that's not new anymore um but a lot of that stuff has been middle grade or young adult, uh, that kind of stuff. I need, I, I, I think where we're hopefully going next is, is we need a big book market, you know, bookstore, book chain hit uh, from the adult graphic novel world. Hmm. Um you know, like like last year, uh, Durf Durf had Kent State, which was pretty huge. I, for a while, I was thinking maybe this is it. Maybe this is the breakthrough. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of in into the adult bookstore market. Right. Um, not not adult bookstore in the term of uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the way you used to mean it. Um, but but you 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 know what I mean. Um, right. You know, graphic novels in the book market that are not you know, necessarily aimed at, at young adult or lower because um, 
you know, the young adult market is just a, a license to print money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of wish, and, and, and I'm going back to that myself too, with this Squire and Knight series, but I, I kind of wish, um, kind of wish some of the creators who did stuff for adults were, were getting, getting a little bit more of that action. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that's where we're going is that some of those Raina Telgemeier readers, you know, they're, they're going to get older and they're going to keep reading comics. Right. And, and, you know, hopefully they're going to discover Durf and they're going to discover, you, you know, Seth and they're going to discover Chester Brown and they're going to discover, uh, you know, God knows what, I mean, there's, there's a lot of creators out there who do really amazing, sophisticated, um, graphic novels for adults. Um, you know, they just don't get, you know, they, they don't get those numbers and, uh, and, and, and they should. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess that's where I'd guess we were going. Um, you know, obviously the internet is going to continue to be, web comics will continue to be a thing. Ebooks will continue to be a thing. I don't think they're ever going to take over completely. I mean, people have been saying for 20 years, they're going to take over, but you know, you'd need a microscope to find the royalties for eBooks on my on my royalty statements. They're a, they're a very small piece of the of the pie, and uh, you know, even if ten years from now they're three times as big, it's gonna you know, it's gonna be this big a piece of the pie. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's like basically, I mean, yeah, fifties they talked about how television was gonna destroy the radio, and sure. Yeah, I think people, I think a new technology comes along and people get all excited about how the new technology is going to take over. Right. And it never does. It just, it just divides the pie up a little in the smaller pieces, you know, that, right. that's all. So, you know, I, I expect print and digital to exist side by side for some time, probably a few generations. Yeah. But, it, but you, you kind of mentioned earlier a little bit on when you talked about how, um, when you did the when you did the book reading of two generals is uh, it where you had world war ii vets that were there you know yeah i speak to i speak to a lot of veterans or or at least did i mean we're losing veteran world war ii vets at a a, a amazing rate but uh, yeah you know yeah i've been talking about that book for 11 years now so early on at least there were there were often a lot of world war ii veterans in the room right yeah and do you, I mean, you know, as that, as that, as that example, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, with, with Bix, you had a lot of people who, who are, who are fans of Bix or who know, knew Bix and, and you did, you know, kind of looping back to what you're talking about with the future comics is that we're still at that stage where you can probably find a new story that hasn't been told in comic form. Whereas yeah. you probably can find any, any topic on anything written down already basically is that do you see as 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 comic creators like yourself kind of expand out onto topics so it's not necessarily about the 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 format or the genre of the topic talked about but it's just the topic itself the more topics that are talked about the more you're going to end up finding people drawn into the graphic novels and comic forms yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, in the last 20 years that, you know, it has, comics have kind of shifted from being a monthly periodical market to being a, uh, you know, kind of more of a book graphic novel market. Right. Um, we have seen the 
you know, diversity of subject matter just explode. Right. You know, every now and then somebody plants a flag in some new, you know, land. Raina Telgemeier says, look at all the money that's over here in, in young adult. <laughs> and everybody goes running that way. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's still lots of new territory to be staked out. And, and, and I say the wider the reach, the better. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very big on comics, uh, you know, structure and theory and all that stuff and, and comics that work well as comics. But I think they also have to just work well as as books. Mm -hmm. um, and and, you know, the, the, the pitch for a book doesn't always have to be, you know, this is a comic about X. It can just be, you know here's a cool book about world war two. Right. Um, I was, I was amazed with how many like 80 year olds were happy to read two generals and loved it. Um, you know, because it was a book that spoke to them. It was about something, something they cared about. Maybe they were in the war knew somebody who was, maybe they lost their uncle, maybe they lost their father, uh, whatever. Um, yeah, to them, um, you know, cause it wasn't pitched to them as like, here's a comic. It was pitched to them as, you know, here's, here's a book you're going to connect with about world war two. And, 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 you know, that would be the case with, uh, you know, whatever, like Lucy Bellwood is a, a, a terrific uh, cartoonist who, uh, you know, is, is, is super interested in like, you know, boats and ships and mm. nautical this and that. And, mm. and, you know, she's really good about promoting her, her, her books about, you know, as her, her stuff is like, this is about boats <laughs> and, you know, and also it's a comic, right. Um, you know, but, but first and foremost, it's uh, it's cartoons about boats. Right. And so, you know, so she gets all the boat people, <laughs> she gets all the boat, all the boat fanatics. Right. So that, like that, like a perfect example. Do you think there's still this societal stigma maybe with comics are kind of for kids where like, for instance, having, a graphic novel section in a bookstore or in a library kind of removes everything. For instance, yep. this should be in the jazz biography section of the bookstore. Yep. Two generals should be in the World War II history. So that way people can see it as um, that's just, that's another good answer to your question about next yeah. steps is that, yeah. you know, for, yeah, like I said, we're about the same age. You probably remember when, you know, any comics, even it was, Dark Knight Returns or something would be in the humor section of the book. <laughs> right. And then, so it was a big deal when we finally got a graphic novel section and that was right. a good step. Right. But you're right. The next step is yeah. to just have comics in every section of the bookstore. Right. Vic should be in the music section. Right. Uh, two generals should be in the history section and, you know, in the graphic novel section too, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Smart, smart indie bookstores I've seen. Uh, will shelve their graphic novels that way, and I, I always applaud it. I think mm -hmm. yeah, get get the um, you know shelve books by content, not by form, or at least right. not just by form. Right. So yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Yeah. So we're getting close to the hour. Did you want to talk a little bit about your upcoming project, Scott? Uh, yeah, I don't really have any art to show or anything yet. We don't even have a cover finished, although the book, okay. the, the book is recently finished, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a change of pace after Bix. I'm, uh, doing this, uh, uh, yeah, kind of all ages fantasy series for first second. It's, uh, it is going to be a series. I'm, I'm diving right into book two next. It's a, it's a, it's a fun thing that's, uh, 
It's about a, a squire and a knight, obviously, from the title. Uh, but, uh, you know, the knight is this kind of overbearing blowhard who, uh, uh, you know, is just a kind of a big jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and the squire is the one who kind of is smart and solves all the mysteries and, and, and does all the legwork. And, uh, you know, the knight goes off to fight the dragon and the squire goes off to the local library and reads everything there is to know about dragons and then, you know, goes and, and pulls the knight's ass out of the fire and then the knight, <laughs> the knight takes all the credit, right? It's, it's that kind of, uh, it's that kind of dynamic. So, you know, ki kids are going to love it because it's, uh, you know, it's about a kid who's smarter than an adult. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that again is going to be a subtle nod to, uh, reading and science and yeah. education and observation and all those good things without kind of hitting, you know, hitting you over the head with it. Right. It's, it's still going to work like a fun fairy tale, uh, without a lot of moralizing, but there is a theme that, uh, uh, you know, ignorance is bad and knowledge is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which coming out of the pandemic, I think is a good, uh, probably something that was on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you wrote it as well then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I generally write my own stuff. I've worked with a few writers on things, particularly early in my career. Jay and Torres. Yeah. Jay Torres early on. And there's been a couple things like, you know, short stories for anthologies or something. Um, you know, just, uh, in, a couple, couple years ago, I hooked up with Cecil Castellucci for a short story for, um, I can't remember the name of the Planned Parenthood anthology, but we did a story for that that we were nominated for an Eisner for, which uh, was kind of surprising. I, I do these great big 250-page graphic novels, and then I do a, a five-page thing for an anthology, and it gets an Eisner nomination. <laughs> like, why am I working so hard? <laughs> Just need to nail five pages. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So, uh, um, uh, timeline. So, this is this is coming out as a. Uh, how big is the? How big is book one then for Squire and Knight? Uh, book one is a hundred and sixty-two pages. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's bigger than two generals. Yeah. Two generals is one hundred and fifty-two pages. Yeah. Two, yeah. Two generals because it's nine panels a page. Uh, you 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 get a lot done in a you know in a, in a few pages with nine panels a page. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah, longer than two generals. You're right. Wow. Yeah. And this is a series, right? You said there's going to be. Yeah, I'm writing book two now. So book one is out early 2023, which wow. sounds like a long time from now, but really, really isn't. We're nearly into 22 now. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we're hoping book two comes out about a year later. So. Okay. Yeah. And it's just going to be two books. Two books is what we've contracted for for now, but I'm hoping okay. for you know let, let's let's keep it going. Let's right. uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do as many as uh, as uh, they want me to do until you kind of get that that urge to do another historical right. graphic novel. Right. Yeah, another decade. <laughs> another decade on that. <laughs> yeah, it's like I want to know how the 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 handsaw was invented. I'm gonna figure out who did that. Like, <laughs> right. Watch for my watch for my handsaw graphic novel. <laughs> no, no word of a lie. Years ago, I really wanted to do. Um, I don't know if if um, this will even register with Americans. The the Robertson screwdriver is like the square. Yes. It's like the square screwdriver, which is like yeah. the Canadian screwdriver. Yeah. And um, 
for years, I wanted to do a graphic novel about the development of the Robertson screwdriver, which sounds insane and probably would be, but it touches on a lot of things about, um, you know, business and engineering and the kind of weird side-by-side relationship of Canada and the United States. And there's there's a lot of moving parts to it. I actually saw a documentary about it on TV and I'm like, this would be great. (laughs) Selling a graphic novel about a screwdriver is probably stupid. (laughs) But you, but like what we said earlier though, there's, if there's no, if there's a history, if somebody wrote a historical book about it and someone did a documentary about it, then obviously there needs to be a graphic novel about it. It's it's it, it it hasn't been done. I'll say that for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would it would be new territory for sure for comics. <laughs> yeah, so we can start the hashtag uh, Scott Chandler's uh, Robinson screwdriver. Right. <laughs> Robertson, a graphic novel by Scott Chandler. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Scott, thank you very much. This has been a this has been a fun hour. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, you got it. I appreciate you having me. This has been great. I mean, with the pandemic and stuff, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I, I haven't gotten out much. I've, I've started doing shows again in the last month or so. But uh, other than that, there wasn't a lot of opportunities to promote the work or even talk about it with people. So, uh, right. yeah, I really, really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. And, and come back on when you're ready to when, when you have like Squire Night out. So yeah, back on you bet I will. That. Spring, spring 23. Spring 23. I'll put you on the calendar. Do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So I got my uh, 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 another question for you regarding. Hang, 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 hang just I'm gonna okay. What are we at? Thirty four minutes. I'm gonna have to timestamp this. I got Elizabeth. Daddy's in a meeting. <laughs> yeah, I can tie it later. Okay. All right. Don't know. About another another thirty minutes. Okay. Go to bed. <laughs> Kids are great. Kids are great. great. But when it's like an hour past their bedtime, that's when they. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. Put the balloons away. Yeah. Put them there. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) All right. There it is. All right. So good. So good. good. All right. Luckily, I was in between questions. So this will be an easy edit. So this will be good. Yeah.